0: Blondine, Born, now practice this, let's see how I do. Jean-Francois Gravalet Blondin. Huh? <laughs> <Very
1: much? laughs>
0: oh, thank you. Uh, I might do it again. Born Jean-Francois <laughs> Gravalet Blondin in France in 1824, Blondin later became an acrobat. He also was a widely renowned tightrope walker. His biggest claim to fame occurred when he crossed the Niagara Gorge over the falls on June 30th of 1859. The trek was on a rope three and a quarter inches in diameter, 1,100 feet long, and suspended 160 feet above the water. He would repeat the feat many other times with different variations. He did it blindfolded. He did it in a sack, on stilts. One time he did it and sat down midway while he cooked and ate an omelet on a stove that he was carrying. Seriously, this is documented, okay? I saw it on the internet, it has to be true. <laughs> and once, standing on a chair with only one chair leg on the road. Yeah, that's what I said. One story says that once after he crossed the rope, he asked the crowd who was assembled if they thought he could do it while pushing someone in a wheelbarrow. Yes, 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 they cried. You are the greatest in the world. To which Blondine said, I need a volunteer to get in the wheelbarrow. (laughs) But nobody budged. They believed Blondine was the greatest, that he could do it, but they weren't willing to trust their lives to his greatness. I think this story is a great illustration to prepare our minds for the passage that we're looking at today. This passage calls us to the carpet in our Christianity. It demands that we make a choice, a clear choice, as to whether we really believe what we say or if we're just giving lip service to Christ and His kingdom. Let's read the passage and jump in together. Philippians 1, we're going to read verses 19 through 26. And let me pray before we read the Word again. Can't pray too much. God, we do not approach Your Word lightly. This is a holy thing. And may we not treat it as common. Pray that Your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to be able to see what You would have us to see, God. We need Your help, Teacher, and we know that You're here to teach us. So we ask You to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians 1, starting verse 19. For every believer. Actually, probably for every person on the earth. These two issues are life and death. It's pretty pertinent issues, I believe. But if we're followers of Jesus, this passage shows us the fundamental difference between someone who follows Jesus and someone who follows himself. And it is a matter of life and or death. Now, before we get into this study, I want to kind of see where we've been so far through the book of Philippians. We've had, I think, four messages before this in the beginning of the book of Philippians. Um, Paul has brought us to this point of Philippians and made two themes clear. And they'll pervade throughout the whole book. Okay? The two themes of Philippians are joy and counting others as more important than yourself. And these two themes are intertwined with each other. True joy only comes when we get ourselves out of the center of our lives and focus on others. Anybody ever heard the old acronym for joy? What it stands for? The true path to joy: J O Y. Anybody? What? Jesus, Jesus, others, and yourself. But that's the recipe for true joy. You focus on Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. And you know what? I think that's true. Sometimes these acronyms are kind of trite and kind of like blah, blah, But I believe that is so true. The, the true path to joy, if we're going to know joy, it has to be in that order. We focus on Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. Paul introduced his letter by identifying himself as a slave. Remember that? That's been a long time ago. But Paul could have picked apostle. He could have picked, picked uh, writer of books of the Bible. He could have picked all these different <coughs> words. But he chose to identify himself to the Philippians as a slave. Okay? to help show them and us that he seeks first, Paul sought first to, to, to serve others. That's a slave's mentality. He went on to tell the Philippians how much he loved them. Remember that, the echo of love that he had for them in his heart. And he prayed for God's grace in their lives. And then he reassured them that even in his imprisonment, that he was rejoicing. Why? Because the gospel was progressing and how, all that, and how that was all that mattered to him. Okay, Paul's joy came from knowing that Christ was being proclaimed and that the Philippians were growing in love and mature. So, again, we see his joy as Jesus, others, and then finally himself. And that's where we are so far. That's where we've been. Now, as we look at our passage today, we're going to see how Paul came to this point and how he plans on going forward from it. Like I said, two main points, and this will be a, a two-point outline don't feel gypped. If you like a three-point, I'm sorry, but I got two. It's all I got. Like I said, two main points will stand out to us. Life is the first point. Death is the second point. I think we can all remember that outline when we leave here today. So, after seeing these two points, we will explore what we can learn from Paul's example and how we can apply it to our life and to our death. So first, we'll look at life. This passage that we just read is littered with examples of what Christian life is all about. Let me just give you a flyby and then we'll go back and touch, touch down on some uh, uh, two or three issues. First, in verse 20, Paul says that he hopes uh, that Christ will be honored in his body, whether by life or by death. The classic, well-known, and often quoted verse 21 comes next, where Paul says that to live is Christ. And then in verse 22, he says that if he is to live, in the flesh, live on in the flesh, that it means fruitful labor for him. Okay, so when we're looking at life, we see three things. Based on these verses, at least three things that life is about for the Christian. The first is fruitful labor. The second is that that life is Christ-focused. And the third is that it is others-focused. So underneath our number one point, life, we've got A, B, and C which is fruitful labor, Christ-focused, and others-focused. So, in verse 22, we're going to look at fruitful labor. Paul makes a simple statement in verse 22. If I am to live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Now, what does this tell us? It means that our lives should be characterized by bearing fruit. If you are alive, if you are in Christ, it means fruitful labor for you. Jesus said in John fifteen eight, and you don't have to go there, just listen, you can write it down if you're taking notes. John fifteen eight, Jesus says this, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So what is Jesus saying? One proof that you're my disciples. Well, the proof that you're my disciples is what? That you bear much fruit. Which goes hand in hand with what Paul just said. If I live on in the flesh, it means fruitful labor. So Jesus' words are in agreement with what Paul's saying, which is simply, life means fruit. If a believer is in the flesh and walking as a disciple of Christ, the proof is in the fruit, not the pudding, the fruit. And what kind of fruit should we be producing? Now, here's where things kind of can get turned upside down. Because I think we'd be tempted to jump in and say, okay, fruit equals work. Because you say, well, fruitful labor. Okay, but be careful here, because that would really be a, a wrong mindset to think. Okay, I've got to be working. You do have to be working, but we're going to we're going to we're going to come around the back side of work somehow. It, because I think if if we're talking about working harder or, or working. That leads us to try harder. Or we try to do more. Or we volunteer for everything that comes up at church so we can say, okay, I see labor in my life, so that labor equals fruit. But listen, we are not commanded to work harder. Jesus said, you will prove that you're my disciples when you bear much fruit. Not when you stack chairs, or not when you clean the floor, or not when you bring food for people. Those things happen. But listen, this is super important. We are not commanded to work harder we are assured that this fruit will come. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Again, you don't have to go there, but it would be worth looking at later if you're taking notes. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Give us a list of what this fruit looks like. From your passage again, this is what Paul says in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now that's a whole different mindset as to what he's saying in Galatians when he's talking about law and, and grace. But if we are going to see fruit in our lives, this is what it's going to look like. When Paul says, if I live on in the flesh, it means fruitful labor for me, it means that our life in Christ should be marked by these characteristics that we just read, the fruit of the Spirit, which will supernaturally lead to a faithful, consistent labor in the Spirit of Christ. Don't get the cart before the horse. You can't work to produce the fruit. The fruit has to be being produced by the overflow of the Holy Spirit, which leads you to work. That is incredibly important. Because what's going to happen is, you're going to wake up one day, and you're going to have anxiety, and you're going to have fear, and you're going to have anger, and you're going to have lust. And you're saying, I don't feel love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentle, self-control. I've got to work harder today. I've got to work harder. And let me tell you what, that is a fruitless path of frustration. Because you're working hard to produce fruit. You're working hard to produce fruit. And you're not seeing any fruit. Our work, our walk, our labor comes from rest. It comes from seeing ourselves as seated with Christ in the heavenly places and watching Him do what only He can do through us. You wake up one day and you do feel love that you never felt before. You do feel joy that you never felt before. You do feel these things you never felt before. and You're saying, God, this is a work of your Spirit. And I want to share it with other people. And and, you know, you hear, I've heard preachers on radio a lot, on TV a lot, say, well, you've got to do things and then you'll start to feel the feelings. And that is true to a point. But I can guarantee you, you will not produce this fruit on your own. You cannot make it happen. We. The Spirit of Christ produces this fruit for us. So Paul says, if I live on in the flesh, I know that it means fruitful labor for me. Why? Because he knew that he had the Spirit of God within him. And the Spirit of God would produce that fruit, which would lead to the labor that he was working at. Please don't get that out of order. Living in the flesh means fruitful labor for me. Now, that was... A, underneath number one. The second part of number one, B, is that our life should be Christ-focused. Now, truthfully, every one of these points could be a message in and of itself. But we're trying to get the overall thrust of this 19 through 26 passage, so we are just kind of doing an aerial thing. You can go back and do these studies later on these different passages. But the second one under life is that, or B under life, is that our life should be Christ-focused. Now listen, Paul says in verse 21 that to live is Christ. Let me show you what this formula looks like. You ready? I got a cramp. Listen. Everything we do, everything we say, everything we think, should be centered around the person of Jesus Christ as a Christian. Life equals Christ. Now, we may initially think, well, that's not possible. I can't always be thinking about Jesus. I can't always be talking about Jesus. But let me give you some verses to think about while we're doing that. First one is, uh, Colossians 1, 15 through 18. Again, you don't have to go there. Listen, listen. This is what Scripture says about Christ being life, and life equals Christ. Colossians 1, 15-18. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Listen, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He may be preeminent. Now, what is God's desire for the universe? His desire is spoken in that last phrase, that in everything Christ may be preeminent. That Christ would have first place. That nothing would come before Christ. That's God's will for the universe. So how could it not be His will for us? Paul just said, life equals Christ. And here, Paul says to the Colossians, Christ will be preeminent in everything by the doing, by the will of God. Another Colossians verse. Colossians 3, 17. Now, listen to this. One of them. I, I have come across this verse and used this verse probably in about 60 to 75 percent of the messages I've ever prepared. Listen, Colossians 3:17, "And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let me read that again. Again, keeping this in mind, and whatever you do in word or deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I think we could turn that around and say it like this. If you can't do it in Jesus' name, don't do it. You're wondering, well, should I do this? Is it permissible? Would God care? Ask yourself the simple question, can I do this in Jesus' name? That's how you start to develop a mindset that life is Christ. Christ is life. Can I I go to work in Jesus' name? Yes, I can. Can I go to work and be lazy in Jesus' name? No, I can't. So I show up at work and I say, God, help me to work to Your glory today, not with eye service as a man pleaser, but help me to do what I do today in the name of Jesus to Your glory to the praise of God the Father as I do this in Your name. When you wake up in the morning, when you brush your teeth, when you sit down to eat, which that's next, 1 Corinthians 10.31. Now listen, I've used this one a few times too. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Down to your peanut butter sandwich. Now that's amazing. Do you think about eating to the glory of God? Drinking to the glory of God. That's what this is all about. It's it's showing, God, You are sovereign in my life. You are over everything in my life. You're preeminent. You're before all things. And I want to do everything I do down to my eating and drinking or whatever I do for Your glory. Life is Christ. So we've seen underneath life two things. What have we seen so far? review come on fruitful labor and life equals Christ or Christ focused so those are two things that life is we're going to look at the third thing now as far as life goes our life should be others focused Paul says in Philippians 1.25 that he knows that he will continue with the Philippians for what purpose? What's it say? Philippians 25. Why does he know that he'll continue with them?
1: For their progress and joy in the
0: faith. For your progress and your joy in the faith, he says that his life will continue for their sakes. Paul could have very easily have said, and I think we would, and I think we'd be all right with it, that he would continue in life for his own progress and joy in the faith. He could have said, I know that I'll go on, and there'll be progress in my life, and there'll be joy in my life. We wouldn't think much of that if Paul said that. We'd say, okay, that's that's good stuff. We all want joy. We all want to grow in the faith. But Paul draws a line here and says, my life is for your growth. My life is for your joy. And this should be our focus and our hope as well. We should live with our attention and our affection set on how we can help others grow and find their joy. Again, going back to our book themes, our joy is found in helping them find their joy. And I don't... Guys, I don't know about you, but I don't normally think this way. I am really interested in myself. I'm really praying for myself. God, help me. I did this yesterday. And help me not to think this way. And God is really trying to reshape my thoughts and my prayers to be, God, them. Now, I need you to pray for me. And you'll find your joy when I start to find my joy as well. And when when God starts to answer your prayer for me in my life, you can look and say, God, thank you for the joy that I see in Jason and answering that prayer that I prayed for him. Same thing, me, for you. We've got to get ourselves focused not on ourselves. Listen, I will say this, and without a doubt I've said it before, I am most miserable when I am focused on myself. Nothing makes me more miserable than to think about me and what I, what I want or what I don't have or, or even looking up the road in my plans. Okay, there's a place for that. But if I would get my mind focused on other people and seeing their joy be more important, I, I don't have time to focus on myself. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Paul actually says that for him, it would be better to die and be with Christ. We'll look at that in a minute when we look at death. But he knows that what is best for him is not what he should be focused on, but what is best for them. He writes from a prison cell and says that any joy he might receive from any thought of release is that he'll be able to go help them. It's not a mindset of, I'm out of jail, but instead, great, now that I am out of jail, I can go back and help these other people grow and find more joy. This is what the Christian life looks like. Fruitful labor, life equals Christ, or Christ-focused, and others-focused. Now, stop for just a minute. Evaluate your life in light of those things. How are you? And again, don't beat yourself up. We're not here to pile guilt and shame upon you. The point is this. Stop and think, if this does not mark my life, I've got some work to do. And we'll get to that at the end, okay? So, Having seen that Christian life is marked by fruitful labor, a focus on Christ and the good of others, we turn our attention to our second point, number two. And that second point is death. Initially, this might sound like a a morbid thought or it, it might be something that we don't necessarily want to talk about or look at. But Paul's pretty clear, especially in this passage, that a Christian has a different perspective on death than anyone else. To a Christian, death is three things. It's gain, it's Christ-focused, and it's self-focused. Now, we live in a culture that says that if you focus on death, it's morbid. But, like most things, Scripture undoes this thought. The first thing we'll look at is how Paul describes death in verse 21. Remember this equation here? Life equals Christ. Christ. Well, there's another part to that phrase. For me to live is Christ. And death, or to die, equals what? Gain. Death equals gain. Do you know anybody that speaks this way? Let me tell you what. This guy that we call the Apostle Paul, this spirit that dwelt in him and that dwells in you, is different than what we see in the world. Stop and think about that for a minute. Death equals gain. Paul is saying that dying is life plus something. We see it as we see death as death equals life minus life. Right? I mean, that's really what we see. Death is the loss of life. But this is wrong, guys. That's stinking thinking. That's wrong thinking. That's not scriptural thinking. Okay? Or we might even see it as death equals life minus something, minus something. It may even make us go toward the negative. We may think it's not just zero, it's negative something. But Paul says it would be gain for him to die. Now before you go there, this is not him having a mindset of, oh poor me, things are so hard for me, I'm in jail, it'd be better if I was just dead. That's not what he's saying, okay? Not at all. Death for Paul is not a way out, it's a way up. Death is a promotion, and it's a big one. It's like from pooper scooper to corner office CEO, okay? That's what death is to Paul. Seriously. Try to I, I try to I, you know I start to say toilet cleaner, but I clean the toilets every week at work, so I'm thinking I don't know. <laughs> From Cooper Scooper to corner office CEO. That's what kind of promotion death is in the mind of Paul. The Bible paints a glorious picture of the next life. Batten down the hatches, guys. Listen to some of this. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians 5. Corinthians 5. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. Listen. Just listen. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That is strong. That is a Christian view of death. That's gain. That's promotion. That's upward mobility. But it's not just promotion. It's not just something better up there somewhere. Look back at verse 23 in Philippians 1. As we move into the second part of death. Paul says, I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better. Now, look at what Paul points out here. My desire is to depart and live in heaven forever. No. My desire is to depart and have a new body. No. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better. Listen, we have a down payment is what we looked at in 2 Corinthians there as believers. We have the Holy Spirit of God. The very life of God. And guys, that is fantastic. It's it's better than we know. Better than we understand. But, when we finally leave this life and go to the next one, we will be with Christ forever. With Christ. Not hearing stories about Christ. Not reading a Bible that was written about Christ. Not longing for Christ. With Christ face to face. We sang it in that last song. When this passing life is over, we will see you face to face. And forever we will worship Jesus. You are all to us. A Christian view of death includes the fact that we get to be with Jesus forever. With them, With Him. Face to face. Side by side. No more mystery. No more wondering. No more doubt. No more fear. With Christ. And Paul says, and that is far better. Paul told the Thessalonians, and he comforted them, them about the people that had passed away in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. And he said, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and listen, and so we will always be with the Lord. That's what death is. It's not just a promotion. It's not just gain. It's an opportunity to be with Christ forever. A Christian looks at death as the only chance to get what he or she should have always wanted. To finally be with Christ. It's not that we walk around wishing we were dead. We'll talk about that at the end. But we do walk around wishing we could be with Christ. That is the greatest hope that we have. Titus 2.13 is a familiar passage and it refers to it like this. Waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ being with him is our blessed hope and death here in the words of Paul is a blessed getaway is a blessed gateway I'm sorry a blessed gateway to that happening for the Christian different than what we would call normal yeah you betcha but true to the truth of the word yes now, after seeing that death is gain and that it's Christ-focused, want we'll to look at the last thing. I want you to see ultimately that death is self-focused. I know that sounds odd. In our look at life for a Christian, we saw that it should be Christ-focused and others-focused. But in death, it is clear that we are to be Christ-focused and self-focused. Now, before you wrinkle up your forehead and say that doesn't make any sense, give me just a minute. After death, we will be with Christ forever. Now, one would think that there would be no room for us to be focused on ourselves. Right? But I think we really need to rethink that. Will we serve and work and do unto others as we would have have them do unto us in heaven? Absolutely, sure we will. But listen, listen. Not to be lost in all of this is the fact that we will be filled with unbelievable joy after our death. And who is that joy for? It's for us, it's for me. God is anticipating me being full of joy in heaven. He's not counting on me coming up and Oh, woe is me. Poor me, I'm a wretched sinner. Oh God, I don't deserve to be here. Oh God, you're so good that I'm, I, I can't believe I shouldn't be here. God, I'm so sorry. You think that's what heaven's going to be like? No. You are going to be filled with, inex- well, no, we'll be expressible finally. You'll be filled with expressible joy, and it's for you. The joy is for you. God wants us to look forward to enjoying Him forever. God wants us to look forward to enjoying ourselves in Him. He wants us to be fulfilled and joyous for His glory, yes, but also for our good. John Piper says all the time that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied with Him. Now think about that. God gets the most glory when I'm full of joy because of who He is. When I'm full of joy, Does that make sense? So death holds a promise that man, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be joyous. I'm going to enjoy being me because of who Christ is. Because of what I get to do in heaven. And you know what? I think we talk about denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following Jesus. That's for here, guys. That's for here. That's our role here. We are not to be focused on ourselves here. But in heaven, after death, yeah, we're going to be focused on Christ and the joy that He brings to us. That's kind of hard to swallow. We will be most satisfied when we are with Him. This will be a sanctified selfishness. To the glory of God, we will be selfish. You know who the most selfish being in the universe is? It's God. God is the most selfish being in the universe. And that's a good thing. God delights in himself. And that's a good thing because God knows that the best thing for you is God. So he elevates himself, he elevates his word, he elevates his name and says, Look at me. And in heaven, we'll know what that's all about. It's amazing. We will be enthralled to our utmost potential from glory to glory, from strength to strength. For all the ages, we'll never tap the end of knowing God further and enjoying ourselves further. We'll never get there. We'll never reach the end. That's what heaven, that's what eternity is all about. And that's what death holds for us. And it's good news. Our focus on our joy will bring God glory for all eternity. So we've seen what we are calling a biblical view of life and death. Life is for fruitful labor, it's to be Christ-focused, and it's to be focused on others. Death is gain, it is Christ-focused, and it is self-focused. So what's our application? How does this affect us right now? The Bible ancient document written over 2,000 years ago, but it's meant to be applied to your life today. And if you can't take what we just read and what we just heard and apply it to your life, it's worthless. So what's the application? I'm going to ask you straight up. Do you see life this way? Do you see death this way? I think, this is where I'm at. I know this cognitively, this part. I don't know how I'm doing living it out so much. This I'm not there. I mean, I don't don't get that. As the Apostle Paul sits in a Roman prison, or at least a Roman house, with a Roman guard chained to his side, and he's like, death. Yes. Death is going to be awesome. They cut his head off, guys. And he was looking forward to it. To depart and be with Christ, that is far better. Death is gain. We need some work here, I think, as Christians specifically. We are scared to death to die. I mean, really, it's our greatest fear. Or something bad happened to our kids, or what if I die and leave my kids behind, or what if this happens? Who's going to take care of my family? God will. I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. He wrote down every single day of your life in His book before you were born. He knows when you're going to breathe your last breath. He knows how many hairs are on your head. And you know what? He knows the same thing for your family. I had a friend that I worked with at Advance Auto Parts. And he asked me, he said, are you afraid to die? I said, "No," And I meant it when I said it. I'm like, I believe there's something better. And I mean, I wasn't, I'm not saying I was here. He said, I'm scared to death because what would happen to my family? But she's not a believer. I said, I hear you, buddy. I said, but I just have to believe that God will take care of them if, if he takes me out of here. He's like, I don't know about that. I said, I hear you. There's no hope in the non-safe person. There's no hope in death. Death is the end for them. Even though it's not the end, they will live forever. Everybody will live forever. It's just a matter of whether it's going to be gain or pain, I guess, is what you could say. So what's the application? I think we've got to look and evaluate our life, evaluate our view of death, and see if it matches up to this. And if it doesn't, the first point of application is we need to repent. We need to, and the word repent means to change the way you think. Meta noia. Change your mind is the Greek word. It means change the way you think. Change the way you think about life, change the way you think about death. Well, how can I do that? First, you ask God to help you see things from his perspective. You immerse yourself in the Word of God so that you'll know what He says about life and death. This was this was revolutionary for me, guys. I mean, really. Because I'm thinking that life is about going to work and paying bills. No. No. And I'm thinking that death is maybe a final rest. Well, if that's the good news of the Gospel... Again, I've got to change the way I think. I've got to get into the Word and I've got to immerse myself in it and say, God, what do you say about life and death? I think Paul gives us a perfect picture of a right perspective of life and death. And this is the last point of application. Go back to Philippians 1. And we're almost done. Philippians 1, verses 23 through 26. I think there's... Amazing application here. 23 through 26. Paul says this, I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now Listen. I believe a Christian view of life and death looks just like that. I love the term Paul uses. Hard pressed. Anybody got a different rendering in their uh, translation? Straight
1: betwixt,
0: two. Straight betwixt two. Stuck there. Can't move. I don't know which way to go. I'm hard pressed. Which is better? Life or death? I don't know. I don't know which is better. Life is incredible. Death is incredible. I don't know which way to go. I enjoy life so much and I'm looking so forward to death. Now there's some application for you. That's how a Christian is supposed to live. He says, I just can't decide which would be better. If I die, I get to be with Jesus. That's exciting. If I live, I get to know you know Christ better. I get to help you know Christ better, which brings me, you, and Him joy. And that's exciting and I'm hard-pressed to figure out which one is better. This is a mindset every Christian should be praying for, studying toward, and living out in the power of the Spirit. For our good, the good of others, and the glory of God. It is God's promise for us in His Word. Now, let's go back to that tightrope over Niagara Falls for a minute. I really believe God is asking us today, do we believe Him or not? Can He get us to the, this point or this mindset to where we're hard-pressed to choose between life and death? I'm not there. But do I believe that God is able to get me across those faults? Do I believe that God can get me to a point where Paul was where he says life and death Both fantastic. Don't know which one to choose. I believe he stands today on the tightrope with a wheelbarrow. And I believe he looks out at us and he says, will you trust me with this? Do you believe that I can do it? And if we're not careful... We're the crowd that says, yes, 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 you can do it. You're the greatest. And he says, hop in. Will we hop in and trust him? Will you trust him with your life? Will you trust him with your death? Let's pray. God, we are firmly convinced that you have a plan. Sometimes we wonder, though, God. Sometimes we doubt. Sometimes we question. And in those times, God, You would call us to get our focus off of ourself again. You would call us to look at the life of the Apostle Paul again and see a man who just couldn't decide if life or death was better. God, will You get us to that point? Can you? Yes, you you can. We believe that, God. Yes, 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 you can. You're the greatest. God, we ask you this morning, will you do it for me? Will you do it for us? Will you help us to live in such a way that it means fruitful labor, live in such a way that we're Christ-focused, live in such a way that we're others-focused? And will you help us to view death as gain? as an opportunity to be with Christ forever and to be so self-focused that it brings you joy, God. We definitely need your help, God. So we ask you to give it and we expect you to give it. In Jesus' name. Let's take some time just to sing and to consecrate, to kind of cement into place what we heard to make a decision. Everybody in this room makes a decision. You either choose to believe God or you choose not to. Maybe you come to God and say, God, I don't know how to believe this. Maybe you sit here this morning and you say, I don't even know, I don't know if what I believe is even Christian. Christianity comes down to this, guys. You were born a sinner. You were separated from God by your sin. You had no choice in that. And a holy God wants to be with you but can't because your sin separated you from Him. But God made a way through the miraculous birth, life, death, burial, resurrection, and glorification of Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life. Never sinned, but He took the punishment for your sin. And if you will trust that God will satisfy to punish Him instead of you for your sins, you will be born again. Christianity is about placing your faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Placing your life and your death in the hands of Jesus Christ. And saying, God, I believe it was enough. If you've never made that decision today, you can today. If you've made that decision, come to God and say, God, help me to live and to die in such a way that it brings you glory."
1: alone my hope is found